Um, we are up to 67A, the third line, second line on, second word on the line. Amalei Ravuna Bereder Vishua Rava. Ravuna the son of Bered Yeshua, says to Rava, if one of the interior, uh, someone who lives in one of the interior courtyards forgets to become part of the Eruv, right? Um, why do both courtyards become forbidden to be used, right? What should we do instead? Right? So the person who lives in the interior courtyard should say he gives up his rights to the interior courtyard to the other members of the interior courtyard. And then, then the outer courtyard people can indeed come in. They will be allowed to use it. In other words, the issue always was that the inner courtyard guy cannot give up his rights to the outer courtyard guy because that's just not something he's permitted to do according to Shmuel. And giving up to the inner courtyard people doesn't help anything because they're not the ones who are forbidden to carry. It's only the outer courtyard. So what the Gemara now is suggesting, why can't the inner courtyard person just give up his rights to the other inner courtyard people, right? And that would have then worked to permit the outer courtyard people to carry as well. The Gemara said, Rav responds, basically, Kiman, who do you want to suggest this should be like? like the opinion of he says you do not have to renounce your rights to each and every individual person living in that courtyard. What, where did Rava says, when did I make my statement? I made my statement according to the Rabbanan. He says that you need to give up your rights to each and every courtyard, each, each and every individual um, person dwelling here, right? And since you do need to do that, and since you do need to do that, that's not going to work, right? Because you're not able to give up your, the interior courtyard people cannot give up the rights to the outer courtyard people. So therefore it's not going to do the trick. It would have worked according to Rabbi Yazar, who says you only need to give up your rights to one and that's sufficient. But according to the Chamu, so you need to give up your rights to everyone, that's not going to work. And that is who Rabbi Yazar is going. Okay, let's continue. Rav Chizda, Rav Kipagi Bahadi Adadi, when they would meet each other, Rav Chizda, Misra'in, Shupusaya, I guess. Sifoseha, right. No, his lips. Mimas Nisa, the Rav Sheshas. Chizda would basically be, what do they call it? You know, when when your lips are going, blubbering lips, basically, almost, right? Because Rav Sheshas knew such a tremendous amount of rice, of Mishnayas, right? But Rav Sheshas, his entire body would, would go, wow, I'm blown away by how brilliant Rav Chizda's ability to, to marshal Talmudic logic in his arguments. That's the, the, um, the introduction to the following conversation. So what's the conversation, right? These two giants are meeting. So Chizda asks the question to Rav Sheshas. You have two houses on both sides of the public domain. Right? And non-Jews came and put up a, um, you have a house on one side of the public domain and a house on the other side of the public domain, right? So the public domain is going in between. You have these non-Jews come and put fences up like this, right? One on each side. So now they're enclosed fully. Ma'u, what's the halacha, right? The question is not, is this considered to be a private domain? Halachically, it's a private domain because these walls were put up on Shabbos by non-Jews. Halachically, it's a private domain. The concern over here is that you're going to need to make an Eruv. And these guys did not make an Eruv before Shabbos came in. According to the one who says that there's no such thing as renouncing your rights when you're talking about one courtyard to another courtyard, then I never ask this question. I wouldn't need to ask this question, right? Why not? 
Hashta, since over here, in this case where you only have two individuals and there's one courtyard with two individuals essentially, if they would have wanted to make their Erev on Erev Shabbos, it would have worked. I'm sorry, the other way around. In the case where you have two different courtyards, since they could have made an Erev from Erev Shabbos, then the renouncing of their ownership rights is not going to help. Over here, however, in the case of the public domain, if these guys would have wanted to to um, to make an Erev on Erev Shabbos, it wouldn't have worked. Because on Erev Shabbos, it was a real public domain. Making your Erev wouldn't have solved any issues. So therefore, of course, the renouncing of domains is not going to work over here. Like, Halshkin is not obvious. When am I asking this question? According to the one who says, indeed, you can renounce ownership from one courtyard to another. Over there, it's only because you could have been you could have been ma'arif on erev Shabbos. Then, betulenami matzimavatol. Over there, you're going to be permitted to also uh, renounce your ownership rights. Over here, over here, where you would not be able to make an erev on erev Shabbos. Over here, you're not even going to be able to renounce your domain. Or do we say leishna? There's no difference at all. So he answers him, he says, no, there's no such thing. Renouncing is not going to work. When can renouncing work? Only where A, they would forbid each other to carry, or if they wanted to, they would have been able to make an Erev. And over here, they wouldn't have been able to make an Erev before Shabbos because it wasn't the private domain before Shabbos. Next case. You have a Jew living in a courtyard. I'm sorry, you have a non-Jew living in a courtyard with two Jews, right? They're not allowed to carry unless they either rent his space Right, and they would also have to make an Erev on Erev Shabbos. Now, what happened? They didn't do that. However, he dies at the midway point of Shabbos. Now, once he died, what's the halacha? If he is no longer alive, do we say that it's okay or not? Mahu, right? How would it become okay for them to carry? They can't make an Erev anymore on Shabbos. It's too late. So how would it be okay for them to carry, right? So we have we have Wayne and Earl living in the shtetl in Palo Alto, and there's one non-Jew living in the shtetl. The non, they did not make an error before Shabbos. Non-Jew dies on Shabbos. Now, if Wayne renounces his rights to carry into the common courtyard, would Earl be allowed to carry or not? They have no option making an error anymore. It's too late. According to the one who says that you're even allowed to rent space from a non-Jew who comes back on Shabbos for the first time that we learned two dafim ago, that I'm not even asking. Because that's obvious. Over there, by the non-Jew coming back on Shabbos, it's permitted to rent the space for the non-Jew, and it's permitted for one of them to renounce their ownership rights. Certainly over here, where it's only one action that's going to be necessary, only the action of um, renouncing rights and not the action of renting the space for the non-Jew who returns on Shabbos, of course it's permitted. So rather, who am I asking? I'm asking according to the one who says that it is not permitted to rent from a non-Jew who comes back on Shabbos. So perhaps it's only not permitted to rent the space from the non-Jew coming back on Shabbos because you need to do two different actions to permit carrying in this courtyard. One of you needs to rent the space and one of you needs to renounce ownership. Over there, maybe that doesn't work. But maybe where the non-Jew died on Shabbos, so you don't need to rent space from him. All you need to do is for one of them to renounce their, their ownership rights. Maybe that actually would work. Because I believe that you could be mevatel. However, Hamnuna said, that mivatlin um, is only going to work in, a, you know, renouncing your rights is only going to work in a case in which, in theory, you could have appeared an Erev on Erev Shabbos. So here you cannot have appeared an Erev on Erev Shabbos because on Erev Shabbos, the non-Jew is still alive. And therefore, you cannot have appeared an Erev. And therefore, being mivatl your shus later on on Shabbos when the non-Jew dies is not going to change anything. Okay, machlekes amarai.
Amar Rabbi Yehuda Amar Shmuel. Rabbi Yehuda says name of Shmuel. Nachrishi Yesh Pesach Arba Al Arba Pasuach Lebeka. You have a non-Jew who has a a door, and it is four by four tefachim, right? And it is open up into the from the courtyard into a beka into a valley. Afilu Machna Sumeitzi Gumalim Dekranis Kolayem Kule Derech Mavi. Even if they um, they move um, camels and uh, wagons the entire day out through the Mavoi. He does not forbid usage for the B'nei Mavoi. Why? My Because we assume that he likes the special door that he has. Okay? So like this. Let's pick out the case a little bit better. So you have uh, these, these houses opening up onto a um, yeah, this house is opening up, courtyards opening up into a mavoi, okay? Now, the, most of the courtyards and houses are owned by Jews. You have this one non-Jew who's living there. Now, if the one non-Jew is still using the, the courtyard and the mavoi, then he forbids all the Jews to use it unless they rent the space room, okay? But let's say he didn't rent the space room. However, he happens to have a small doorway open into, uh, directly into the bikkah. So he does not actually have to use their shared space. The halacha is that we say he actually the prepared space, the doorway that he prepared for himself is the doorway that he really prefers to use, and therefore he does not forbid everybody to carry by dint of the right of the rights that he has to carry in the other courtyard. That doesn't even affect us anymore because since he doesn't normally use that, even when he does use that, it's not going to have any effect, and he, and it, they will be permitted to carry out through. Uh, they'll be permitted to carry out into the courtyard themselves without any sort of a modification done. The Gemara asks, let's say it's only open to a karfeth, right? So a bikkah makes sense because a bikkah is something that perhaps is normal for people to exit through into a bikkah. But is it normal for people to exit out into a karfeth? A karfeth is something that's not normally used in a, in a typical fashion. Amr Nachmarami says the name of Ophana. Afilo, Pasuach like karfeth. Even if it's open into a karfeth, then and Nanchu has a special door open directly into a karpif. He's not considered to create a, you know the, the restrictive restrictive um, policies on the residents, the Jewish residents of the alleyway. Rabbi and Yosef both say that if a nachri, if the door is opening into a, um, let's see what the case is. Oh, like this. Let's say the Naju has one door from his courtyard opening directly into the Mavoy that's shared with the Jews, and one door from his courtyard opening directly into the Karpeth. However, the Karpeth is um, two Sasayim, right? So it's, it's uh, this 5,000 by 5,000, right? So since it's only 5,000 by 5,000, it's not so large. And since it's not so large, he's not going to use that typically as his egress point. He'll end up using the Mavoy, and therefore the fact that he has a doorway into the Karpeth does not indicate a renouncing of his rights to use the mobile. However, if it is a very large cafe, if it is larger than base asylum, then indeed the fact that he has a door directly into that indicates that he's renouncing his rights. He does not forbid the members of the courtyard, the Jewish members, to carry in that area because he's renounced his rights. However, one, 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 one question. We're talking about Goyim here, right? What have they Correct. got to do with Shabbos? What do you mean his rights in the courtyard? He can do whatever he wants. He could, but what we're, what we're trying to establish is that there are cases in which a non-Jew 
is no longer going to be creating a restrictive policy on the Jewish people. If you have Jews and non-Jews, then houses abutting a courtyard. So the rule that the Chazal put in place is that until you rent the space from the non-Jew, it's going to create restrictions on the Jews. However, that's only true if the non-Jew has equal access to the courtyard. If the non-Jew renounces his rights to the courtyard, that also solves the issue. So, so it, in it essence, becomes a Jewish space, right? Kind of, yeah. It's like a de facto Jewish space by definition, as soon as he has uh, an opening into a, uh, a bitka, into a valley. The Gemara now is asking, well, what about a carpet? So the Gemara said, well, it depends. If he's a non-Jew, then if the carpet is a very large carpet, then indeed he wants to use that egress point to the carpet, and that becomes his normal egress point, and the courtyard is no longer considered to be his, his, uh, his regular shtamshias, his regular usage. But if it's a very small carpet, and it's less than Tusa, then indeed he's not going to be using that in place of his in place of the mavoi, and therefore it will not it will not cause him to be considered as if he renounced his space in the courtyard. Okay. Yeah, the Gemara continues in the third line. The Gemara says like this: For Israel, however, let's say you have a member of the courtyard who's Israel, and he did not join into the Eruv with the other members of the courtyard for whatever reason. He didn't join. He forgot. He doesn't believe in it. Who knows? Right? Now it happens like this. Actually, let's assume he believes in it because we'll see why it's relevant. That we'll assume that he believes in it. So. He does believe in Erevin. However, um, he has a doorway open from his courtyard directly into a carpet, and he has a doorway open directly into the Mavoy. So if the carpet is less than base Asayim or base Asayim exactly, then he's allowed to use that area. But we learned earlier in Erevin that if you have a carpet that is greater than base Asayim, right, greater than two, two base Sa, you're not allowed to use it on Shabbos. So if it's open to an area that he's not allowed to use on Shabbos, then obviously he's not renouncing his rights to use the regular courtyard. And therefore, he will still forbid the members of the Mavoy from being able to carry in that unless he had joined in their Erev, which he didn't, right? And this is not considered a renouncing the fact that he has a doorway open to a different space, okay? But minei rava bar Let's say, and we just had this question. Well, what's the new question here? Let me see. Oh, so he's really asking like this. He's asking the same question, essentially. You have a non-Jewish person, doorway, open into a carpet and open into the alleyway. What's the halacha? Amalei said to him, amru What do you mean? <laughs> we just said the answer. If it's more than basis Asayim, indeed he starts using it normally, and then he gives up his rights, essentially, de facto gives up his rights to the smaller space, the courtyard. But if it's less than basis Asayim, he doesn't want to use it, and therefore he'd never give up his rights to the courtyard. Cases like this. You have a caravan that's bigger than Tusa, and it was never hookah fladira. It was never surrounded with walls for the sake of making that into a dwelling place. Afilu korv, afilu kurayim. And even if it is one court, which is very large, two korv, very, very large, if you throw from public space into there, you're chayiv. Why? Because ultimately it's still walls, and walls will render it a private domain. My time, what's the reason? It's still walls. The only reason why it, it does not take on a full private domain status is because since it does not have typical usage, it's too similar to, um, it's, not, it's not similar enough to a private domain and Chazal forbade you to carry it, okay? So, what are we trying to bring out from there? You have a rock and it's in the sea and it is four tfachim uh, wide and ten tfachim tall. You cannot carry from it into the sea and not from the sea into it. If it is less than four by ten, you could carry. Why? What we're dealing with over here is the, the prohibition of carrying from the 
the Carmelis into the Rosh Hashayachid, right? So, because um, even though it's, if it's more than 10 Tvachim high, then, and more than 4 Tvachim wide, then it has the status, the rock has the status of a private domain. The C is the status of a Carmelis. You're not allowed to move from a Carmelis, right? The, the, mid, the mid status case, right? Um, into a private domain. If it's small that, you couldn't move it from one to the other. Ad Kama, up until how small, I'm sorry, up until how large can the rock be and be considered a private domain and a regular private domain to be permitted to carry it? Ad base Asayim, up until base Asayim. Ahai, what's the case? Ile Masifa, base Asayim, Tveiloi. One second. If it's going on the Seifa part, right, that says that if a rock is lower than 10 Tvachim off the ground, that's not considered to be a regular private domain, it's more in the status of Kamalus, then the, the implication would be. That only more than base asylum is not okay. Well, I mean, Carmelis, the Carmelis, Kamatalto. What do you mean? Why wouldn't it be okay? If the rock is less than 10th Vachim off the ground, at the end of the day, no matter how large the rock is, width, length, it's not going to make a difference. It's still going to be a Carmelis. Why should you not be allowed to carry from one Carmelis to the other? El Alab Aresha. So it must be going on the first case of the Mishnah. What does it mean? Carmelis, what does it say? You have a rock in the sea that is 10th Vachim tall and 4th Vachim wide, right? private domain. You're not allowed to carry from it to the sea and from the sea to it. And how large of a rock do we consider it to be a regular private domain? Only up until two bases. Yes, two bases. The implication would be that indeed if the rock is greater than two sa's uh, area, then indeed you'd be allowed to carry from the, the yam into it. Alma. So we see from here, Carmelis see. see from here that it does have the status of a Carmelis. Tiyufta derevhuna. Right. How is this the Tiyofta Teravuna? Because Ravuna said earlier that if you have a carpet that's larger than two besa, it's still a regular private domain. And if somebody throws from a public domain into it, it's going to be liable to, um, to, to a penalty of, you know, of Esir Shabbos of throwing from public to private. But over here what we see is that no matter how large it is, it could still be in the status of a Carmelis, right? So if that's true, if it's still in the status of a Carmelis, then throwing from the public domain into that should not be liable to a, a chatas. It's not a biblical penalty. A Carmelis is a pupmuck and patur. It's an area for which, on a Torah level, everything is permitted. Amar Rava, Rava says, Mandaleyada, Kurutze, Masnaisa. So only one who does not know how to, how to explain Bryce's properly would um, ask a question from this on the position of Rabiecha. Loyal Maresha. Rather, we have to say it's like this. When we say that the only time it's permitted, is when it is um, is is a rock that is less than ten tefachim, right? And we're saying that it's going that the idea is when it's two tefachim. I'm sorry, when even more than even greater than two beisa. is what we're You're allowed to carry inside on that rock alone. You're allowed to carry. It's a private domain. Bad kama. Up until when are you allowed to carry in a regular private domain? Ad. Base Asayim, only if the rock is base Asayim. But if it's bigger than base Asayim, then it takes on the status of a Carmelis. Status of a Carmelis, you're not allowed to carry on it because since it is not something that people are dwelling on, a rock in the middle of the sea, unless it is Atlantis, right? So nobody's dwelling on it. So what is it? It becomes a carpe. A carpe if you're not allowed to carry on. So it has to be that the case that we're talking about is where it's a rock that is less than base Asayim. It's more than base Asayim. If it's not 10 fucking high, it's going to take on the status of a Carmelis. Ravashi, um, Ravashi says, It must be that that which we say, the two bases uh, that's going on in the first case. Right? And how, does it, how do we explain? The, the Chachamim said two things. They said like this. They said that um, 
Under certain circumstances, they said that this type of area that is two besa or greater has one status. Under other circumstances, it has a different status. What do we mean, right? Basically, hinamr vahinamr is a way of saying, they said and they said. It's a way of saying, if the rabbis set up the rules, they can set it up any way that they want to, right? And, and they, you know, even if it doesn't necessarily seem to flow so logically, they could have still set it up in a way that takes on both statuses as a compromise position. What does this mean? They said that if you have a carpet that is greater than Tusa, that was never walled in for the sake of dwelling, you cannot carry in that carpet the storage area more than four arms. They also said, and they also said you cannot carry from private domain to the Carmelites. If it's exactly based the same, in which case you are permitted to carry everywhere within that space, Right, so um, over there, everywhere the chachamim forbade you to carry. However, they still forbid you to carry from the. Um, we still forbid you to carry from there into the sea and from the sea into it. My time. What's the reason? Because ultimately, it's still a regular private domain. If it's a regular private domain. You're not allowed to carry from one to the other. Yes, we base the same to us little If it is greater than than Tusa, that is forbidden to carry in all of it. The kule Basically, if it is something that you're not allowed to carry in at all um, on a rabbinic level, therefore Chazal permitted you to carry from the yam to it and from it to the yam because they're not concerned that it has the appearance of a private domain. But if it's something that you're not you are permitted to carry in the whole area as the appearance of private domain, therefore you're not permitted to carry from it into the sea or from the sea into it. My time was the reason. People come to say that it's a regular and then people end up carrying fully anywhere within it. So therefore they said you're allowed to carry from the sea into it, right? Because since if we didn't say that, then people will think that you're actually allowed to carry anywhere in the carpet. So they to protect the original din, they have to be make this sort of compromise and say, you're actually not allowed to carry from the public domain into it. Why? Because if we did allow you to carry public domain into it, then you would end up carrying elsewhere in, in, the, in the entire domain, right? Um, yeah, does, does that make sense, Earl? Wayne, you guys got that? Okay, um, I'm gonna take that as a yes. And what's the difference that why by the teichai are they more concerned that um, that the teichai is um, that, that we should ensure that the that the laws of permitting or permitting permitting or prohibiting should go based on what you're allowed to do on the inside as opposed to going from one domain to the other and that should trump the other law. It is usual to carry within this area. It is not usual to carry from the sea into it or from it into the sea. So therefore, they're going to forbid the thing that is the more typical fashion of something that they prohibited. That they will forbid no matter what. And the thing that is not the typical thing that they forbid, they will not forbid to do because they want to protect the other halacha. There was a, um, a child and the warm water that had been prepared for him before Shabbos ended up spilling on Shabbos. Amalu Rabba, Rabba, Rabba says to them, so bring water, bring some water, warm water from my house, from my urn, bring some more warm water to, to this young child. says, We did not make an error before Shabbos. How could we permit you to carry from your house to this individual, right? That's not going to be permitted. There's no Eruv, even if he needs that water. So he says, we can rely on the shittuf. What's the shittuf? Shittuf is like this. The shittuf mevoyas, right, is the 
is the same thing as the Erev Chatseris, right? The same way the Erev Chatseris is when you do, you join in together to permit to carry from houses into the courtyard. Shituf Mavoyas is the same thing for the alleyways. There was an alleyway on the outside of this courtyard. He says the fact that we joined in together for the alleyway, um, um, Erev, so to speak, so too, that will serve the purpose of the Erev in the courtyard. Amarle, so he says to him, what do you mean? We didn't make it. We never made the sheet of Mavayus over here. We never did that for the sake of carrying in the alleyway. So Rabbi said, okay, fine. So have a non Jew come to bring it. Amar Abaya, so Abaya says, He says, I want to point something out to, to, um, to, to Rabbi. didn't let me. When I was by Rabbi Yehuda, I'm sorry, so he says, when it comes to something that is forbidden on a Torah level, if you see the Rebbe doing something, then you have to say something quickly. Right? Generally speaking, a Talmud is not, a student is not allowed to correct his Rebbe. Right? It's very important to retain the level of respect for the Torah scholars, because if you don't retain the level of respect, then you're not going to recognize that the Torah that he's giving over is coming from from, you know, in, in a link from Harsina. And therefore, it's important to retain a level of respect. And therefore, you cannot even correct him. However, if he's about to do an Isra to Arisa, then you certainly need to say, oh, you just gave a psak to that individual. But I, I think it seems to me that you're giving a psak and you're permitting something that's forbidden on a cover level. And then afterward, right, you, you got to say something before he does it. But if the... If there's something that seems that your Rebbe is about to do that is forbidden on a rabbinic level, don't even say anything. It's disrespectful. And only afterwards should you say, I, I think you might, uh, what, what's going on over there? There's something a little strange over there, right? So afterwards, Rabbi Yisuf says back to Abaya, What did you want to say to, to Mar, to, to, um, to Rabbi, but you didn't say it? said, I want this to teach, say to him, the idea of sprinkling, right? The hazah that we do of sprinkling from a uh, on, onto a tummy person, sprinkling from the ash, the water of the ashes of the paraduma onto a tummy person on Shabbos is only forbidden on a rabbinic level. And telling a non-Jew to do work for a Jew on Shabbos, right, is only forbidden on a rabbinic level. Just like hazah is only forbidden on a rabbinic level and does not push up Shabbos. So too, Amir Lanachri is also a shvas. is also something forbidden to do it on Shabbos on a rabbinic level, and you should not push it off for Shabbos. So why did Rabbi say you could go ask a non-Jew to carry something for the for this young child to carry some more more mortar for him from my domain? It's still going to be a Amir Lanachri shvas of telling a non-Jew to do work for you on Shabbos, right? And a very important point. And people sometimes forget is that Amir Lanachri is not permitted under all circumstances, right? Amir Lanachri asking Nanchi to do a something that's forbidden for you to do on Shabbos is not permitted under all circumstances, it's permitted under limited circumstances. And what was the reason why he, he said this is okay? Do you not differentiate between a shvus that involves an action and a shvus that does not involve an action? In other words, what type of action is the shvus, is the rabbinic prohibition? that Rabbi was engaged in. What he was telling his student to do is to go speak, right? Now, when it comes to different types of prohibitions, they're forbidden to speak Lashon Hara, right? You're also forbidden to do an act of carrying on Shabbos. Which one is worse? On some level, speaking Lashon Hara is not as bad because it does not involve an action, it involves words. Over here, Amir Lanachri is a rabbinic prohibition that only involves words and not actions.
Because he, oh, sorry. I guess it's more than that. Oh, no, yeah, no, it works, it works. Okay, fine. So he's saying it's like this. He's saying that the, 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 the Nahri was only being told to carry something um, into the courtyard. He was not told to go heat up the water for him, right? So that's why it's a, it's a lot better. If you, if you were told the Nahri to go heat up the water for him, then you'd be telling the Nahri to do an action that the action itself is a real action. And that would have been worse. I'm like, Rabbi Baruch Hanan Labai. Rabbi Hanan says to Rabbi. Mavaya de Ispei, Trey Gavri, Rabbi Karabonah. This is a very, very famous line that, that um, Hasidim are very, um, are very fond of this line right here. And Rabbi Baruch Hanan says to Abaya, a, a alleyway that has these two great sages, right? Like, uh, like you, basically, like, Rab, like, um, like Rabbi and Abaya, right? Is it possible that there's no Erev and no Shittif? Right? It's very important. To always try to ensure at the greatest means possible, and that's why we say by Erevin Hikulu, that we are lenient by Erevin, to ensure that there is an Erev to permit people to, to carry from one area to another. So is it possible that in this great, in this courtyard and alleyway in which you have Abaya and Rabbah dwelling and residing, is it possible that there's no Erev and no Shittaf at all? What are they doing? It's up to them to ensure that the people in this courtyard carry. Amarle, so Abaya says back, my Nebed, what can I do? Ma, Lav, Orcha, right? Says I, Rabba, right? The 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 great sage Rabba. It's not it's not appropriate for him to be gathering the um the 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 necessary um, contributions from the other members of the courtyard. I know Tarinna big Yerusai. I'm busy learning Torah. I don't have time. Inu lemeshkechi. The other people living in the courtyard, they don't care if this is Arab or not. They don't care about these laws. The acne lopita, besala. But let's say what I could do is. Uh, what could I do? I could have given them up. Rashi says like this. Rashi says, what, what Abaya could have done is he could have taken a, a basket of bread and he could have said, you know, I have a basket of bread and all the members of my courtyard, this bread, this piece of bread, it belongs to one member, this piece of bread belongs to another member and essentially set up a situation where the bread really belongs to all the members of the courtyard and that itself will be the Eruv. Nobody has to chip in. Technically, as long as one person wants to bequeath a basket full of food to all the members of the courtyard jointly, that would be sufficient. It's not actually that everybody has to chip in. That's just a typical way of doing it. So he says, why didn't I do that? Right? He actually couldn't do it. If they would have wanted to take the bread from him at the end of the day, he wouldn't have been able to because Abaya was clearly pretty poor. He did not have extra bread to give the, his neighbors. So he said, I wouldn't be able to do that. So, batal shittuf. If they would ask me, I would say, no, I can't give you. Then the shittuf would have been invalid because it's a real, it's really a joke. I, don't, I can't actually give it to them. The tanya, because we went to the rice. One member of the courtyard who is requesting wine and oil, right? To, from, from the, from the shittuf that people have put together. They essentially put together, we all have joint ownership, right? And, and look, here's our joint ownership. We have some delicious uh, white Riesling from Earl. Right? And then another member of the courtyard says, hey, listen, uh, turns out I want some of my white Riesling. And I was like, no, 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 you can't have it. Well, he doesn't give it to him. But then by definition, the shitov is no longer valid because it was clear that it was a joke from the first place. You don't want to give up the, the food that officially belongs to all of them. Then by definition, you've just shown that it doesn't really belong to all of them. It's not a valid uh, shitov or a valid Eruv. Bayez says, listen, I can technically put together an Eruv each Shabbos. But what am I going to do? I can't actually give it to them. And since I can't give it to them, they would ask. It's not valid. So the Gemara says, 
So why can't you just be willing to give up to them one revius worth of, of vinegar that's sitting in a uh, in a barrel, right? And that's not such a big deal. And that wh why does it have to be such a small amount? Because we said earlier that it just has to be the amount that they would be using to eat. And the amount of vinegar that you use for the dipping is very small. Gemara says, You cannot make a shituk with food that is kept into a, um, basically stuff that's in a storage space. Rashi says, why? Um, right, because we said earlier that there's no brera. We, we, we cannot define it as which part of the stuff that's in the barrel belongs to which individual. And since we cannot define it initially, then even if later on you would determine that this half belongs to that, this half belongs to that, that's not enough. So that's not going to work. So that's why he didn't want to give us over. But Tanya, we learned in Arisa. you could be mishtatif with, you could make the sheet of mavayas with, with uh, stuff that are in an eitzer. In a storage, it's not a question. One is the opinion of Bishamah, one is the opinion of Bishila. Which one's which? Obviously, Bishila is one you said you cannot do it. Bishamah is one who said you could do it. It's not. We learned in Mishnah. You have a dead person who's in a house, and there's many uh, doorways out of that house. Coolant man, all the doorways become Tameh. If one of those doorways becomes open, who tame the kulan tahirin? That doorway becomes tame, but all the others become tahar. Why? Because the assumption is that you're going to take the dead body out of the doorway that's been opened. The halacha is like this when it comes to dine toma, that the doorway, if you have a house that there's one doorway from that house, then that doorway becomes tame. Because the way that you're going to take the dead body out of that house is going to be through that doorway. But let's say you have a house with many doorways, since you don't know which one you're going to take it out from, right? Then all of them become tame, right? Now, if only one of them is opened already, then clearly that's the one that you're intended to take out. Let's say you have in mind to take it out from one of those doorways. Or with a window that is four by four. That itself is already enough to protect all the other doors. They don't become tummy. however, says, It has to be that you had in mind which doorway you would take the person out when the person was already in the state of, you know, almost dead, right? And at this point, the tumma did not yet descend upon all the doors. But let's say the tumor already, the presumptive status of a dead body that you've not yet determined which doorway you're going to take it out from, all the doorways into this house come tummy. You can't then say, oh, afterwards I decided to take it out from a certain doorway. That's not going to solve it, right? It's too late at that point. So it has to be that you made the determination earlier. So says, even if afterwards it's still going to work. Now, <laughs> seems very random. Why are we talking about this whole question about Tumah of a dead body, which story you take it out from, what does this have to do with the question of Shituf in a, in a, in a barrel? What, how is this related? Well, the answer is the Shituf in a barrel can become permitted even after the fact, right? In other words, since later on you determined which part of the vinegar is going to go for the, is going to go for the Shituf, that would be enough. So how do we know that Basil says that would be enough? Because he says it's the same thing by a dead body, determining after the body died, which doorway you're going to take it out. Retroactively, we look at that as being the, the only doorway that you ever intended to do it, and all the other doorways remain tahar. There was a young child that you're going to have warm water for him on Shabbos, you know, perhaps the Vismila water, right? And the water spilled. Amalu Rabba. So Rabba said, Let's ask his mother, Like this. The halacha is that, um, that the, in general, when we talk about a woman right after giving birth, so up until three days, 
she could do, you know, malacha daraisa, right? Uh, you know, under any circumstances, basically, right? Um, but if the, up until seven days, in theory, you could do some sort of malachas. But after seven days, you cannot do it yourself. However, you could still ask a non-Jew to do malacha for you. So why don't we have the, the mother on the eighth day ask a non-Jew, can you do the malacha for me of heating up the water? And then when the non-Jew does the malacha of heating up the water, you just add or use some of that water for the child, right? The mother is already eating tamri, dates. She's already eating dates. And clearly, it's not a situation where it's not kind of the fascist that she needs this warm water, right? So then you're not going to be able to ask the non-Jew to do it. Right? Maybe, maybe basically, if the mother would have wanted warm water, then the fact that she's eating this, um, the date, that's not an indication that she's fully healed. If she had said, expressed the desire for warm water, that would already be enough for us to permit the non-Jew to heat up the warm water for her. And the fact that she's already eating this, this, these, um, the dates that normally indicates that she's fully healed, you have to say tunva, it's in a state of, um, of like, uh, not, not really thinking about what you're doing, right? Unconscious state almost. Not, not literally unconscious, but close to unconscious state. Another case uh, where the water had got warmed up and, and spilled. says, take out my, um, the things that I have, right, from the from the, the men's restroom into the lebe, nashi. I guess not the restroom. Let me see if it means, it means like, not, not, not the restroom, just like the, the place where the, where the men are hanging out to the place where the women are hanging out. And I'm going to go and sit in the woman's section. And by doing that, what am I going to do? I'm going to give up my rights into the child's courtyard. So I'm guessing the cases over here, Rav was the only one who did not, who did not um, join into their Erev, or perhaps he's the only other member of the courtyard. So since he's renouncing his rights, then they actually have the rights to his courtyard as well. Since they have the rights to his courtyard, they're actually able to then go into his house, take out the warm water from his house through the courtyard into their own house. Shmuel was of the opinion that you cannot give up your, your rights from one courtyard to another. He says, okay, great, but I hold that and indeed you could give up your rights even from one courtyard to another. And I live in another courtyard, I gave up my rights, and by giving up my rights, I permitted them to then take from their courtyard, from my courtyard, into their courtyard that hot water. And who holds the Yesh But Ravina says back, but if you don't know like Shmuel, that you're not allowed to give up your rights from one domain to another, then just stay in your regular place. Don't move into the woman's section. And give up your rights in, in, uh, in, your, in, your, in give up the rights in your courtyard to their courtyard. And then let them give up their rights in Rava's courtyard afterwards, after they've already taken out the stuff. And if they, if they give up their rights, then Rava would be allowed to carry. Rab basically says you can play a trick. Right? So Wayne and Earl are living in the same courtyard, and they forgot to uh, they forgot to take care of their of the air problem. So Wayne needs to go out on Shabbos morning. He says, uh, Earl, you know what? Give up your rights. Earl says, Okay, I gave my rights. And then Wayne and Earl needs to go later. Okay, Wayne, give up your rights. Okay, well, I gave up my rights. And you can keep on doing this whenever anybody needs to carry. You can do that. So what are you playing games for? If you don't look like Shmuel, then why do you have to move into the women's section? You could have just stayed in your own section and done this. 
I hold like this opinion of Shmuel. Like what opinion of Shmuel? There's no such thing as giving up your rights and then giving up your rights and then giving up your rights and going back and forth. That already turns the whole thing into a which means you're turning it into a joke from beginning to end. The Gemara says, isn't the reason why Shmuel says that you cannot give up your rights and then switch and give up your rights to the other person? Isn't that the same reason that he also says that you can't give up your rights from one courtyard to the other? My time aim about them, why does he say you can't give up your rights and then the other one go back and give up his rights? It's not because once you've given up your rights to a domain, then what you've defin- by definition, you've given up your, your rights to carry there completely. You're no longer related to that area. If you're no longer related to that area, then you're like a member of a different courtyard. So let me explain what this means like this. Shmuel says, if Wayne and Earl live in two adjacent courtyards, then Wayne cannot give up his rights to Earl. Earl cannot give up his rights to Wayne. There's two different courtyards. There's no halacha of giving up your rights. That was Shmuel's opinion for Yechon and Earl. Okay. Shmuel also said, if Wayne and Earl live in the same courtyard, and Wayne gives up his rights in the courtyard, then Shmuel, I'm sorry, not Shmuel, then Earl cannot later on on Shabbos give up his rights to allow Wayne to carry. Why not? Well, the reason why not is because once Wayne gave up his rights to that courtyard, but in essence, he has now become like a member of a different courtyard completely. And Shmuel was of the opinion, two different courtyards cannot give up the rights to each other. And once Wayne gave up his rights, he became a different courtyard. Okay. So if so, why would Rubba hold like one opinion of Shmuel, but not the other, when they're based on the same, on the same principle? Awesome, high time over there. The reason why Shmuel said that you can't flip it back and forth from one person renouncing to the other person renouncing. Oh, says it over here. The reason why I said it is because we didn't want to make it lula. We didn't want to make it a situation where people are going to be laughing. What's going on over here? You're playing games. You're switching back and forth and back and forth. What is this? You turn the whole halacha into a joke. But in a case of where you have two different individuals and two different chaseris, so over there, Rabbi did not agree that with Shmuel's halacha. Kufa. Let's, let's analyze this deeper. Rabbi Omer. So Wayne could give up his rights, and then he could change his mind, come back, and then Earl will give up his rights, and everything will go back to, as it was before. Shmuel says, you can't do this. Let's say the Rav and Shmuel are really arguing about the same and Rav is going like, What is this referring to? Which Machlekes? So Rashi says it this. There's a machlekas Rebeliezer and the Chachamim earlier. If you give up your rights to your courtyard, is that also considered like you gave up your rights to the house as well? If it means you gave up your rights to the house as well, then you're considered like a completely different um, courtyard dweller. But if you didn't go, so basically like this. Let's say Wayne gives up his rights to the courtyard, but did not give up the rights to his house. You can't say he's a member of a different courtyard. He's not. He's a member of the same courtyard, but not a member. He's a member of the same courtyard by dint of having a house that still opens up into that region. Okay, so that's only true that he's still a member of that courtyard if he does not give up rights to his house as well. So that should really be dependent on an earlier machlekas tanayim. When you give up rights to your house, you also you give up rights to your courtyard. You also give up rights to your house. Well, if you gave up rights to your house, you're a member of a different courtyard completely. If you do not give up rights to your house, you're not a member of a different courtyard completely. So this machlekas, these machlekas amarayim, whether or not you're considered like a member of a different courtyard, should really be dependent on this earlier machlekas tanayim. You give up rights to your house, does that mean you give up you give rights to your courtyard? Does that mean you give rights to your house or not? Amar lach rab, rab would say to you, another I would say even like your abeliyazer. 
I can like Gamer Eliezer Hassan. Eliezer only said it over there. I'm about to Rashus Chatzerai, Rashus Beisay Bito. If someone gives up the rights to his Chatzer, he also gives up the rights to his house. Why? Nobody lives in a house that doesn't have a courtyard. Right? Interesting. But when it comes to giving up rights in, in, a, in a courtyard so that the, your friends should be able to carry into that courtyard, why would I give my rights into my house? Why would I possibly say that? I would never go that far. He would say, even according to the Chacham, who said, that over there, giving up the rights to the house is not giving up the giving up the rights to the courtyard is not giving up the rights to the house. Well, then why is is Wayne considered like he's not a member of the courtyard at all? I can like Amir Abanan Hassam over there. The Chacham said the rule that not giving up the rights to to your courtyard does not give up rights to the house. Elamai the battle battle because you said explicitly I'm giving my rights to my courtyard. Okay, give your rights to your courtyard, but not your house. We go battle battle that which I did not say I'm giving up. I'm not giving up. However, that which I did give up, I'm giving up my rights completely. Over here, perhaps when he's giving up his rights in the courtyard, by definition, he's giving up his rights, maybe not in his house, but he gave up his rights in the courtyard. Therefore, he's not connected to the courtyard at all anymore. He's connected to a different courtyard. And different courtyard doesn't work, because that's Shemuel's position. If you can go back on a renouncing to switch positions again, it's really based on Machlekes Tanai. If somebody gives the permission to his neighbors to, to, that he ha, he gave up his rights in the area to them, and then he ends up carrying out on Shabbos, whether it was on purpose on Shabbos, he forgot that he gave up his rights, or whether it was on, on by mistake, I'm sorry, whether it was on purpose that he, he did it, or whether it was by mistake, he forgot he gave up his rights. He forbids the other ones to carry because by carrying it to the courtyard, he's shown that his renun- his um, his renouncing it is not real. Rebuda says that whether if you did it on purpose, then that you gave up your rights. If you did it by mistake, you do not give up your rights. My love, is it not? This is what they're arguing about. One of them says that you can give up your rights and then go back and then give it up again. So therefore, if you gave it up by mistake, right? Then, as soon as you remembered what you did, you'll renounce it again. If you gave it up on, if you on purpose brought your stuff out later, then you're saying I don't want to give up my rights anymore, and then there's no going back. But if you did it by mistake, then why can't you just re- reverse it and go back to the previous position, previous state where you did give up your rights? Everybody agrees you cannot give up your rights and then go back. Both these Tanaim agree. Do we make a penalty? Do we penalize people who do it accidentally? Because if we let them do it accidentally, they might come to do it on purpose or not. One of them says we give up, we do penalize those who did it uh, unintentionally because they might come to do it intentionally. One of them says we do not penalize those who give, did it unintentionally because they might then come to do it intentionally. Ravashi, Ravashi says, Ravashi indeed says that Rav and Shmuel, we don't like to say this, but sometimes we do say this, that Rav and Shmuel indeed are arguing about exactly the Machlekes Rebelezer and the Chacham. Guys, just to, to give you a, a sense of um, I don't know, consolation. Yeah, consolation is the right word. Erevin is one of the hardest Mesechtas in Shas. Okay, so in case uh, you're feeling a little bit of what we call Chalisha Sadas, a little bit of, wow, that was pretty difficult, and I'm not sure how we're supposed to do that in, in uh, 45 minutes to do a blot and a half. The answer is, it's not just hard for you, it's hard for everybody. 
And uh, Sachem, though, is going to be a lot easier. So <laughs> only got to hold on for another <laughs> 35 plot. It does get easier, even before Erevin's over. Well, this thank part God of, for that. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the hardest parts, but it, it's still getting hard. It's not, um, yeah, we're not at the top of the mountain yet. Says there was a case where there was a Tzaduki living in the courtyard and his father said, go take out all the stuff before Shabbos begins. Tzaduki, who said anything about a Tzaduki? We're talking about non-Jews. Why are you talking about a Tzaduki? Tzaduki is someone who is a Jew who doesn't believe in Torah Shabbat Pah. You have to say something is missing in the Mishnah. Is what it says. Tzaduki harehu kinachri. Someone who does not believe in Torah Shabbat Pah takes on the same status as a non-Jew for these purposes. Make sure to take out your stuff before the, the, the Tzaduki takes it out, because if he takes it out before you, then he will forbid you to carry, right? So essentially, that's only relevant because he's a Tzaduki, but if he was a Nachri, it wouldn't have changed anything. But Tanya was not in a if you live in a courtyard with a nakri, with tzaduki, or a baisaisi, which is another sect of people who do not believe in Tereshba, they will forbid you to carry out. There was a story with one tzaduki who was living in uh, an alleyway in Yerushalayim. Go out and take out what you want and bring in what you need. Why? Actually, it's before he goes out. And if he goes out, then he's going to forbid you to carry things out. Because when you carry your things out, he's going to be giving up his rights to you. That's what Meir says. says a different, a different way he said it. Go out and do your stuff in the Mavoy. Before darkness comes, because then he will forbid you to, to carry out, right? So in this, according to this way, indeed, Rangel thought of the Tzaduki as a non-Jew. Um, Go out, take out what you need to take out and bring in what you need to bring in. Before this, this uh, Tayeva, he brings in his stuff, and he, he forbids you to carry.